Welcome to Latin Movie Lovers. My co-host is Viviana. She is a myth, a legend, the one and only. If you have the privilege of knowing her, your life is already so much better. <laughs> Viviana Garcia Blanco. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, glad you can, you can be here with us. I'm Viviana, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ronell, the most kind, sweetest, true gentleman you can ever know. And we're here today on Latin Movie Lovers discussing Gus Van Sant's 1991 classic, My Own Private Idaho. So I, I had this on my list of movies I've been wanting to watch because I have seen kind of all of the director Gus Van Sant's filmography, and I'm not sure why I waited so long to watch this movie. I love Keanu Reeves. I love River Phoenix, rest in peace, legend. And I'm just, a, I'm a big fan of the director's style. Not really sure why it took such a long time for me to get around to it, but I figured 2020 was the year. So for those who haven't seen it, the film is about Two, well, focuses on two sex workers, Mike and Scott, played by uh, Phoenix and Reeves. And it kind of just documents their time in Portland. They find themselves with a variety of uh, eccentric clients, eccentric acquaintances or friends, you would say. It just documents their experience with other people, with themselves, and with each other. That's a it's a very basic summary of the film, but yeah, that's I, I didn't want to see it. I want to say. <laughs> so, that's the film, and we're gonna discuss themes that stood out to us the most. Uh, the biggest theme that stood out to me would be the sense of home. Mike is a person who suffers from narcolepsy. Mayo Clinic would define it as. A chronic sleep disorder characterized by overwhelming daytime drowsiness and sudden attacks of sleep. Mike suffers with this condition. For those, I mean, it's, it's quite a big condition to, to have if you're a sex worker, right? <laughs> For many people, many people don't know his condition at all, right? So from the outside, it seems like he is one either on drugs or has some kind of mental illness that is not known right away at the surface level, right? Because he's a very attractive man and he seems to be getting a lot of clients. But when he goes through this episode, we see a lot of, uh, well, we see his clients, you know, react confused, scared. They, there are people that like, to be frank, they're sexualizing this, this young man and they kind of like, he stops being a boy toy, someone to be, used and abused and it turns into something that's like you're almost cons if you have any kind of like humanity you're concerned about whether or not he's okay mm -hmm. and i mean if you're doing some sketchy shit you're like i don't want to be caught with this guy if he od'd or anything so 
there are people who just abandon him because he is a sex worker and they were looking to use him. Yeah, there's one, well, there's two instances where he has, Mike has an episode at a wealthy woman's house and she kind of freaks out and she tells the other two sex workers who were in on it to drag his body outside so, so he can just be there instead of inside the house. And there was another moment where he has an episode um, in Italy episode and the guy kind of just freaks out and just leaves him right in this kind of like dingy you know hotel room so in both cases right these people didn't know his condition but were willing to kind of let him if he was ODing, right just kind of willing to let him die and it's just it's an opportunity to to be taken advantage of not just sexually but also at the end of the scene right he has an episode in the middle of the road and these pedestrians stop by and they take his backpack and his shoes. <laughs> like literally they take the shoes off of his feet. So it's, yeah, Mike's character is a really vulnerable guy in a lot of ways, not just physically with his condition, but also emotionally. Yeah, so as I said, one of the things that stood out to me the most was this idea of home because every time he, we kind of see like these, these flashbacks like on the cusp of him having a, a narcoleptic episode he'll have flashbacks of his mother and of his house growing up. So it's a really big trigger for him, this concept of home, of being with his mother, just kind of being in that state. His mother, the background with his mother, we don't know much about. We're, we're told about what happened with his mother from a character who I would say is not the most reliable. So, like, in the middle of the film, we find out about Mike's mother through Mike's brother. But he kind of seems like a shit guy. So I don't know how much of a reliable witness this man is. And he essentially tells Mike, you know, yeah, our mother was institutionalized after she killed your birth, your biological father. And she's, you know, last I heard from her, she sent this postcard at this hotel she was living in. And which like triggers a, a, a series of different events that lead him to being in Italy. But we don't, we don't really learn much about his mother, right? Because we, like, we know that snippet from his brother, but he, he was a baby, a toddler, I guess, when she left home. And I'm assuming he was raised by his brother, his older brother. So this, this idea of home for him being this absent presence, because he's always searching. They, they grew up in like a a barn-like structure, like this blue, like farmhouse-style house in the middle of nowhere. It seems in the very beginning of the film, Mike is getting head from a client, and when he climaxes, he sees this barn being shattered, just kind of dropping down from the sky and shattering all over the road. Which I think is also telling, right? Because it it's showing us that he's associating home with with this like raw pleasure as well, right? But it's also something that leads to him, to his like physical downfall. But what do you mean? I, I just saw that as like random. I didn't think it had any significant purpose to it. I thought it was a random house. I think, well, cause we always get flashback of that house. So Mike will have flashbacks of his mother kind of holding him as a baby and they're in front of this like house, blue house. But he'll also have flashbacks of that barn, like a really 
like tattered old barn. And we like we see it like constantly throughout the film. And the first time we see it, the first time we're introduced to it is when he, you know, like climaxes, when he has his orgasm. So I like that's I don't think that's a coincidence on on kind of anyone's part, really. Unless you have a why did you think it was random? Um I I think it was random just because it was like in the middle of a road. Mm-hmm. My first thought was like, how did that house get there? And why is it falling? I think it was just more so to show that he was climaxing. But I don't know. I I don't I don't think the house at I don't think that house represented anything at that moment or that early on in the film. But not towards not towards the end either. I think towards the end I think it's a memory that he had, but I think it's a memory he was running away from. What I was thinking too is that you're trying to kind of chase this dream too, right? Of going back to a place where you know you'll never be able to return to. Like when we think about nostalgia, what we know of this character, him not really having that childhood, except this one memory of his mother and this house back to back. Like you'll never have this. That's where I was coming from it. Like always chasing this high and never being able to achieve it. That makes sense to me now. I think I just didn't see that when I was watching the movie. I didn't put it together. I don't have that kind of brain that you do. <laughs> no, I never. So with so with Mike, right, this idea of home, that's that's kind of my interpretation of it. And with Scott, this idea of home too. Keanu Reeves, right? Keanu Reeves played by the one and only Keanu Reeves. So just some background on Scott. This guy comes from money. He comes from a really wealthy family in Portland. And his father's the mayor. His father's the mayor. And it's kind of set up that it's kind of like heavily implied throughout the film that he's going to be, you know, uh, in, in political life in Portland, just like his father, he's going to lead in his footsteps. And the, his like ultimate form of rebellion was like denying his responsibilities by becoming a sex worker and living this, this like really kind of dangerous lifestyle. I don't know if it's a form of like self-hatred or if it's a form of like, I'm just a rich kid because I'm saying that because like there was times too where it seemed like Scott was like kind of above all of the, like the dirty things we would see. There was a scene where two male sex workers are talking about being raped and physically abused by their clients. That was one of the most raw scenes in the film, but it was kind of told, I don't want to say casually, but it was just kind of like, you know, they're yeah, just was, talking about this, like, experience, right? Like, oh, like, I just had a really shitty client. Not only was it a shitty client, it was, like, their first experience of, like, yeah. going on a, on a date, which is, like, code for, like, them, you know, spending a night with someone. We'll have, like, little pockets of these raw stories from, like, these lived experiences of these, like, young male sex workers. And then we'll have a character like Scott, who seems to be above it all, like, kind of untouchable because at the end of the day, he knows he has money and so do the people he knows and he's acquaintances with. So for me, like there was always that sense of like Scott's kind of like this untouchable guy, but he's also a street hustler, which is, I don't want to say cool, but I guess in that time he could seem like edgy. The fact that he was almost living a double life because he was having, he like broke away from the expectation set on him by his father and by the 
the weight of what his social life would entail to in order to have control over his social life as a like a street hustler but he didn't and i i agree with you i don't think he i think he definitely thought he was better than other people but in a way i think he just seemed sure of who he was in a way that other characters like weren't able to get to because they're focused on surviving the thing too with scott's character that there are scenes where he breaks out like in shakespearean dialogue with the people around him which was done intentionally and it, to me it's just like this like grand ass portrayal of this like dramatic conversation with his peers at the moment but it, it seemed like you he never spoke that way with like mike with really close people he was always like putting on this show with his mentor bob or the other hustlers and then at the end too when he returns to italy with with his girl and he he's all really cleaned wasn't up wasn't even that pretty who wasn't he i wouldn't smash personally but he so he returns home this like false hero's journey right returning home and his father's passed away he goes into a bar and bob goes into the bar and kind of like not harasses him really but just kind of like is reminding him of hey like you know we used to be friends or you know how how are you doing right did you forget about us like in front of these people right he's talking in a super dramatic way there's pockets of the film where he does this like grandesque dialogue and to me that's like not real he's like putting on a play i didn't really care for scott as a character <laughs> like at all i, I- when i was watching it i i did like him but not as i liked him as a as a character because um i think he was just clever mm-hmm. and i think it was towards the end where i was like oh you did this for 3 years and because just by the fact of him coming back to that kind of life like that was enough for him to be the prodigal son and in a way i was like is he doing this to set himself up to like understand the city more or I, get, i i mean i was looking at it from a point of view of where like i was trying to separate keanu reeves from from the character scott you know like keanu reeves would never do this he is a sweet angel yeah. <laughs> why would he do this to mike <laughs> and i think that in a way i don't know how sure to your comment like i don't I think Scott knew who he had to be. Okay, wait. I okay, I'm going to get right to the 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 juice of it. My um the most the most interesting scene to me was the campfire scene, right? Yeah. And this to me was I'll get to I'll get to what I was trying to say about Scott. But our boy Phoenix comes out saying, you know, would would you ever love a man? if it wasn't for pay because i love you and then keanu reeves was like he turned him down that was the one quote i had wrote down there is no really memorable quote for me in the film but what scott told mike he said two men can't love each other in a really genuine kind of like this is what he really believed in two men can't love each other like what? like you're my best friend yeah he's like what am i to you like you're my best friend <laughs> i almost cried i almost cried at that point Why was that your favorite scene? I think there are some like really like serious parts of the movie and there's some really goofy parts of the movie like 
where in the beginning of the movie when what's his name mike is doing a job and his client is saying scrub little dutch boy <laughs> and and just other parts like he the kind of humor is just kind of like it's supposed to like alleviate the, the harder parts of the film but this is just like a, a quiet night like it's kind of the the make or break moment for for scott and it's also i think mike realizing that he can lose scott because mm-hmm. scott time after time takes care of of mike when he's having a narcoleptic episode and like falls on the ground and everyone else leaves him and scott is the only one that takes care of him he like makes sure that he like is warm and that he like physically like takes off his coat to make sure that he's kept warm he comforts him when he needs it and he they're always in like the the cafe eating together or scheming up ideas together and he knows scott more than anyone and i think at that point he he knows scott more than scott knows himself one of the reasons why like i not that i was like completely dismissive of scott of who this character is or his journey i guess like one of the biggest reasons why i was also drawn to him in the beginning was a sense of i'm taking on this caretaking role for mike so in that campfire scene too they talk about like like what's a normal dad like this idea of what is what is it like to be normal living a normal lifestyle well adjusted yeah first got wealthy lifestyle with like maids and like different kinds of caretakers for him to display this sense of affection for this person he met also in this lifestyle there there's definitely depth to scott he has this compassion and he has this very soft side but he's also he's always like denying himself he's 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 denying himself throughout the film and one of the biggest ways he does that is when he says he just doesn't believe in homosexuality you know i i mean i'm gay for pay bro like i don't know what you thought this was but it's also one of like one of the most heartbreaking scenes for like scott not just mike because he's being denied not because he this is like unrequited love for mike but for scott who you really see in that moment of like, oh, wow, like this guy, like even at the end, right? Like, I, like there's no way this guy can ever like, he'll never know his true self. And I think, not to cut you off, but I think at that moment, because the reason why Scott chose this lifestyle was because his own father saw him as a threat. Wait, explain that. Well, he, he didn't love his father. And he said earlier in the film, he explained that his father like saw him as a threat and like wanted him to take on more serious roles in his family and in in the family name and i think that campfire scene was probably scott being more like his father like because he says oh i have a shitty dad or mm. oh i don't i i didn't i didn't love my dad i love bob i love bob more than i would have ever loved both of my parents um because bob taught him a lot about life um and he was like waiting for Scott was waiting for his father to die to inherit the money, um, which he was going to inherit when he was 21. He was like him. He said that his father couldn't love him. And at that point, Scott was exact like being his father. Was he saying that he can't be loved by another man? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Right. Like his denial of Mike was a reflection of, his father's denial of love towards him 
Right, because so like Mike has these mommy issues and Scott has these daddy issues, right? Which <laughs> complement each other very well. The campfire scene is really is is, is layers to it. It's too complex, right? But it's it's also like this because I mean, even though they're sex workers, the film isn't really about sex. So even when there are Talk about it. So what I thought was really interesting in this film and something I've never seen before, when when someone is is in the act of having sex, the way the scene is shot is like almost like still still pictures. The characters will be kind of like frozen in a sexual act position, and there'll be various like freeze frame moments of the actual act. But we'll never actually we never actually see the act itself, which is it's interesting. Beautiful right? naked bodies like juxtaposed against each other in in fitting every nook and cranny, but it's not sexual. And it's also it's also very tender. Like there's some some scenes where it's like funny, but there's some scenes that that were really intimate and really like. When I think about like oh a, a movie that has sex in it, it's always like really like hot and heavy and like ooh sexy. Like it goes into the male gaze. I'm kind of into it. I'm gonna save this the spank bank. bank. <laughs> I'm saving this in the spank bank. And very very rarely do we see like. A movie that's supposed to be very romantic when we do see these characters finally give in to each other and we'll have that sex scene. I mean, it's tender, right? But it's also very like, you know, uh, this is an act, right? Like, like I'm very hyper aware of like the performance of the sex scene, right? Like this bitch is arching her back. Like, you know, like you're telling me there's this no act. functionality <laughs> to it. There's like, no, I'm just like, okay, whatever. When the boat comes rocking. <laughs> It's very much that, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad about it, right? Because I know I'm watching a movie and I know this is a form of art, whatever. But with these specific sex scenes in this film, and we only, like, we only see these stills for like brief moments. I don't know. I just, I've never seen anything like that. And I thought it was really interesting. And I, I was like, if this was the one criteria for it being an avant-garde film, then it met, the, it met, it, it yeah, met all my expectations of what an avant-garde film is. Beautifully. I think it made me more curious. Sometimes when there are sex scenes, I kind of, you know, want to look away. I'm like, oh, I can't. I'm a good, <laughs> I'm a good boy. I can't look. And this made me just appreciate the art and beauty of it because it's not something to be like, I'm not intrusive of this. This is the beautiful moment. Those were like standout moments for me. These people are sex workers, but the film is never about sex. There are different times when they have like sex for money. And I think it only really shot those like freeze frames when it was like not about money right so the first time we see it is when mike scott and the german guy have sex and that was for money and the second time we see that kind of sex scene is with scott and this italian broad in italy so one was for money and one was for lust mm -hmm. probably they're supposedly love towards the end but so going back to Scott, he was an okay character, but I didn't really care much about his background because I couldn't dissociate why he was doing what he was doing with like his ultimate knowledge of like, to me, it was kind of like, I'm a rich, wealthy kid and I'm going to do a year of service post-graduation so I can apply to law school and, you know, I'd have it on my resume. I worked with poor, you know, minority folk in the inner city. That was the whole, how I interpreted it. Just like his sense of like, you know, I'm, I'm putting on this mask, I'm partaking in this like 
ritual of folks I'll never really understand. But I mean, also acknowledging too that, I mean, he was in pain. He had his own kind of loneliness. Oh, loneliness is another thing. But before we dive into that, there was one scene where Scott goes to talk to his father. So this is after the police raid what looks like a crack house, right? Where all, <laughs> it's, all like the- an abandoned, it's an abandoned house that all the, the, the sex workers hung out at. So they raid this house. Police find Scott. They find him there. And he's all like, you're, you know, your father's looking for you or some bullshit. And Scott goes to visit his father in this iconic, legendary outfit. So let me, paint, let, let me paint the scene for you. So we're in a, in a darkly lit office, his father's office. His father's in a wheelchair behind the desk. Scott is standing in front of him in jeans a jean jacket no shirt underneath the jean jacket and, and he's collar. wearing he's wearing a leather dog collar slash a sub collar some snm fantasy going on oh and his hair his bangs that side swift very sensual very like uh like very and so like scott doesn't dress like that right when he's doing his business right when he's hustling but i'm guessing he put on this like outfit this appearance to be like a, a stereotypical bisexual sex worker. His father mentioned that they found him in bed or something with another man. His father like is hearing nasty. all this drama about his son, like doing all kinds of like nasty shit with people. Well, um, he called him effeminate and he went in for a hug and then, and then his father gagged. Yeah, I mean, it was a sad scene. Well, I thought Scott did it just to like not embarrass his father, but... But in his head, he was scheming his comeback. Scott's intentions for me are kind of not always clear to me. And I think that's why it also added to me kind of not liking the character. Another theme that I wanted to get into, which you had mentioned, was loneliness. What is loneliness? The way this was like beautifully told in the film was this reflection of loneliness in nature as a reflection of the loneliness within the characters. So we'll have these, these scenes of expansive space out in the prairie, out in the middle of the field, in the trailer park, in, in the middle of the road, in various different locations throughout the film where there's just like nothing, there's like no life. And it just echoes where the character is in that moment in time in their life. Like there's nothing for you there. Can I tell you something that, that I thought about when I was watching it? Yeah. The scenes where he was in his on the the long road that seemed like a face, they always showed him at that road right before they showed the salmon swimming upstream. And you know what they say about salmon? They always return home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought about that too. I was like, do I do I know this because I just know random facts about salmon? <laughs> Or it, I was like, it's intentional. It has to be intentional, right? I was like, I know Salman. I know. <laughs> you had the same science teacher in high school? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I like stayed up late during college to to write a paper. And then I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I was hungry. I don't know if I wanted to know about the life cycle of Salman. I don't know how it happened. Mm. But I was watching Salman documentaries. <laughs> Instead of doing my homework. And then I was so at peace and I don't know why. But for people who don't know that these particular types of fish 
doesn't matter wherever they are throughout the world, they'll always return home. I think for the outsider who doesn't know niche biology, they return like home to spawn. <laughs> so they remember all the way from birth because I mean, the the you could say the their instinct is to return home because they're not going to find another place to lay eggs. But it's a circle of life. And so at the end of the film, too, before Mike falls asleep he says something along the lines of like i don't know how long this road goes maybe it goes all over the world like maybe it goes to the end of the world or whatever so something along those lines and then he passes out and he sees those images of the fish and then he passes out and then he's robbed but and then a, a stranger immediately after. <laughs> immediately after he falls asleep but also immediately after that a stranger picks him up who I'm hoping has the best intentions. He picks him up and he puts him in the passenger side of the car and they go off. And that's how the film ends with the words, have a nice day. Like that, that could be interpreted as like, the, the long and winding road is lonely now, but not always, at least for me, right? Like there's always that balance of light, like super crowded spaces and super empty spaces. Very raw, vulnerable moments of you being alone and people filling that gap with compassion and like warmth in the best way they could. Is that the way that like Scott was surrounded by people that he was, I mean, he had no intention of getting to know them, but he had to impress them. And then for Mike, it was him literally just being alone. Cause I mean, you could say Scott was a lonely person too. He was like going through these stages of like grief until he finally accepted his fate. That's lonely, right? But yeah. it's a different form of loneliness because you're surrounded by people, which is in a way maybe sadder than than actual physical loneliness. Not, not with his like lifestyle, because he ended up with the uh, with Carmela. Carmela, that was her name. Yeah, uh, and I don't know why I don't like her. I don't know because she she, she saw him no as a one way ticket out of that small <laughs> little ranch. Did you think so, really? I mean, I think so, yeah. I thought she was really kind of genuine with, like, she's just a poor little farm girl in Italy and these two beautiful men from the States come looking for someone's mom. And I, I, I think she got swept up in the drama of it. And But I think she did love this guy. I don't know if it seemed like he was her first. At least that's what I would believe that, yeah. Your first love is, is always hard. I don't think Scott loved her, but I mean, he ran away with her. He left Mike there in Italy, gave him a, like a wad of cash and says, you know, sorry. To me, that says that Scott never really cared, I mean, cared about Mike. Like, mm. so bad for him. I don't know, maybe it's just because I, I empathize so much with, with Mike in not just like in unrequited love, it's that he, he wanted to be like seen for more than like just him like he wanted to be loved like he for someone that had not known what that was and then feeling it i don't think to him it meant as much to like love another man i think to him it was more natural than to for for scott that was like oh that we can't do that like it was like love in the purest sense and form and I, I don't know, maybe it's because I, because I saw Carmela as like a <laughs> for that, yeah, for for Scott that I am 
trashing her. <laughs> <laughs> she's not bad. I don't know why, but she's all right. She's all right. She had a she had a means to an end for Scott, and he. But it was such a letdown because Mike goes there to look for his mom. She's supposedly there, and he's like distraught. Mm. And then the person who we confesses love to, not too long ago, like the next person that says I I love you to him, he runs off with, and they met known each other for a night. So Mike was the most relatable character to you in the film, not Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think probably the most relatable character to me. I think I empathize with Mike and mm. like his idea of unrequited love, and I think. You're you are in such a vulnerable position to live that kind of lifestyle and have narcolepsy. So I think that part of me had empathy with him because of that. Yeah, Mike definitely for me was the main character of the film, even though I know it's like set up to be like this is a film about two men, right? This like rich dad, poor dad kind of like, you know, situation. Yeah, Mike to me was was the most relatable. I, he was looking for love, right? In all the wrong places. I mean, <laughs> what's not relatable about that? We've all been there before. Mommy issues, we all got them. What character did you think was underexplored, in your opinion? After much reflection, it would be Carmela. <laughs> <laughs> Carmela or Bob, I think the whole Shakespearean idea and concept threw me off. As someone who, who didn't pay attention in high school, in, in their English class. I was like, what's going on? I would say underexplored character for me, boy, I mean, a oh, lot. Oh, you gotta pick one. It definitely wouldn't be Mike's brother. Fuck that guy. Don't really care about it. Even though, but you know what was interesting? Mike's brother was an artist, like an actual artist, uh, you know, commission-based artists who, like, did family portraits and sold them. His trailer, his tr- inside his trailer home, he decorated, you know, the walls with portraits he painted that his clients never ended up paying him for. So he just kept it. And he's just like, you know, it doesn't feel so lonely. Oh, that's fucking sad. <laughs> this guy has trauma that's also unpacked, but... This guy has bourbon with his coffee, with, his, with no coffee. <laughs> He's He's got a bourbon straight, bro. It's just telling that these things were set up against him. He managed in that way to find creativity. Not your stereotypical, like, redneck who lives in a trailer home who is working the mines or some shit. I don't know what they do in Portland. but He didn't have, he didn't have a backstory to it. We were just like, oh, you have a brother? Yeah, like, okay, mm-hmm. Brandon. And Scott knows where he lives. There was, lots of, there was a lot to unpack in that scene. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say Mike's brother was probably a character that I thought would be a little bit more interesting to explore, even though he did come across like an ass. The part that confused me was I actually did believe him when he said that he was Mike's father. Oh, I interpreted that scene as like, like his brother, you know, raised him. Like that's his dad. I, I gave it a much more darker meaning to it. Yeah, like this incest. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and again, one of the reasons, I had mentioned it earlier, but one of the reasons why it seemed like he wasn't the most like reliable character witness is like he 
I like I can't get over the fact that the mom supposedly killed someone and she went to like a, she was supposedly she was instituted and then like she was just fucking chilling at a hotel afterwards. I don't know what the law is in Portland, but if you kill someone, like I, I don't know. Like there was a lot. There was you a lot there. Someone in a drive-in theater with everyone being <laughs> it's a little suspect. But I, I mean, I think he was an interesting character from the brief amount of time that we saw him on screen there was something there his home right like so while mike was talking to his brother in one room scott is giving them like kind of privacy out of respect and he is in mike's brother's bedroom and he's laying down and he looks up at the ceiling and there's a lamp with a bunch of like multicolored smiley faces so it's just like what the fuck is that (laughs) whose house is that right like this guy just randomly was this a child's bedroom at some point did he just buy the house like that and he never like fixed it up like out of all the characters unexplored in the film i felt like maybe it would have been more interesting to look at his life what was the most visually pleasing scene for you in the film i think i was gonna say the him being on the road because i felt like i was there and i got really anxious because i was like it looks the same the road where you're going and the road where you're coming from looks the same. I guess, I, I guess for aesthetic purposes too, I, I think I like when, when Scott and Mike are on the motorcycle and they're like driving through the city kind of like haphazardly, like all over the place. I thought that was beautiful. Mike holding on to Scott as he takes him on, the, on a ride of his life. And that was like right before like the campfire scene. Do you think you'd be friends with any of the main character or characters? I don't think so. It's such a subculture. Like it's such a, the people that they interacted with were their own community and people who were like seeking out sex services. I don't, I don't know if I would be friends with, they they had so much going on. I don't think I could have a conversation with Mike as much as I like the character. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I could see how it would be really draining being friends with any of these people. <laughs> I Maybe mean, be fun to party with, but not. Yeah, uh, I also run into that issue of like, I don't. Where first of all, where am I meeting these so-called people? Right, like, what's the situation? But I like logistically, like realistically, maybe I'd I'd cross paths with Scott more than anybody else in that film. Not that I'm like a super wealthy, you know, socialite in the city of Portland, but it's also like Scott is able to adapt to a variety of different personalities and and situations and environments. So I feel like if there's anything we have in common, I feel like it'd be it'd be Scott for sure. There was also a brief guy in the beginning. Um, I think his name was like Gary. You saw him for like maybe five minutes. He's a really attractive guy. He was a dick and he wore a lot of jewelry. Yeah. And Scott was talking about how like he caught up with this like famous guy. He was a hairdresser who had a lot of money. And Gary like walks up to like the cafe they're chilling at. He's just like, check out my Calvins. Like check out like, you know, just like all like dolled up and shit like that. Like a trophy side piece. I thought he was an interesting character. And then the last time we saw him too was... And I didn't mention it, but this was a a scene that I really liked in the film. Bob's funeral. Mm -hmm. So we had these juxtaposition of these two funerals. We have of Scott's father, very like religious, Catholic. And then I guess like feet apart is this like gathering of all like the the street hustlers and and these like 
drifters gathering to pay respects for Bob. There was a moment in, in that scene where everybody starts screaming out Bob's name together. And I thought that was a really beautiful scene because when they all say Bob's name, it's like one in the same pain that they're all experiencing as this community. It was beautiful. I think it said two things. One thing that like, rich or poor, you die, whatever. And two, I, I guess for this movie, it was just, the darker side of it is that Bob is a nobody. Like as soon as the, the street hustlers stop mourning him, like he ceases to exist. And the legacy that he left off, like on to pass on is with the rest of the street hustlers. But Scott and his father, the legacy that he leaves is like he was the ex-mayor of the city. So I think there was like as much of a joyous morning as it was, I think it was also like we're screaming Bob into existence because like after this, like who knows of Bob? And I think was, uh, some of it was to get attention from, from Scott. And then other of it was like, that's how you mourn. You, there's this energy that is pain that, I mean, if you feel like screaming, then isn't that what mourning is? And there was also the sense of like a celebration too, towards the end where the, at first it was like wailing and then towards the end it was like chanting like this guy was a champion there's always a part in the film that is highlighting two extremes the uh duality of it right the duality of man and nature and life and death is there anything else you want to mention about the film how did you feel watching it were you uncomfortable as a straight cis hetero man I think I was uncomfortable going into it to not be able to give it like the kind of re- review that it get it deserves. And I think I was more like I'm watching this as like someone wants to take this in and and learn from it. And not to be like other um like I'm not someone who is in in an expert in like subcultures or anything, but I think I think most most of it that I felt was I was just captivated by the performance that that I witnessed. Yeah. And the, the thing is, there's no other movie like this that I've seen. What about you? I texted you this, like when I finished it. I'm like, I'm I'm not really too sure how I feel about it, right? Like this is just how it ends. Like okay, but I I definitely needed to sit with it and reflect on it. I thought I didn't like it when it ended, but I'm like, wait, I'm like, let's unpack this. And then I realized, like, oh, this is actually a really good film. I wasn't able to tell that right away. And I think it's because I was just so caught up in, like, I'm like, I just want Mike to be happy. Right. You don't get that. We just get some motherfucker, like, stealing his shoes. It was an emotionally packed film for me. You're going to review it. A thumbs up or a thumbs down? I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I think there's a reason why it's such an iconic movie in, in certain circles. For its time, I think it was really groundbreaking in some ways i mean these two really popular guys in hollywood playing gay or playing bi right in a film i think at the time was like kind of shocking i know very little of queer cinema people have been doing it for i mean way before my private idaho but i just think it, it it wasn't as mainstream because they didn't have these actors like keanu or or reeves this film was like like heavily acclaimed and i don't know if that if it would have been the case with if it had different actors in it. I think another way of looking at it is like, in order for like, 
for a film like this to be made, like what limits are already put on it before it can be successful? Let's say you're a a, a uh, mild-mannered uh, suburban mom, a white suburban Christian mom in like a flyover state. Like, what do you know? What do you know about anything about, about LGBT spaces? What do you know about sex workers? What do you know about anything about that? And I could say the same thing for like people living in Chicago, living in an urban settings who just don't mm-hmm. know or care. Like they don't, they're not looking for that kind of media, but. It's too much to tackle in a short amount of time, right? Talking about queer subtext and talking about, you know, representation in the media. <laughs> we, we talk about this all the time too, Viviana and I, that the burden shouldn't be on us <laughs> to explain or dig into or do the work for other people. But it's so important and we, we find ourselves putting ourselves in those positions because this is work, especially in film. It's a medium that is meant to be consumed and it's a medium meant to be shared and to, to spark conversation. And um, so much of our relationships can, can be bridged because of movies. Movies are a bridge. I relate to, to movies as a vessel and hopefully people that are listening are tuning in for the right reasons, right? The person is political and because of that, like we can't separate our interests and our favorite shows or movies in between like who we are as people. I think that's a that's a perfect way to end this episode. Thank you for joining us. We hope you had a good time. Hope uh, you can join us in the in the next episode where we're also gonna have a good time. Thanks for tuning in. Ciao.